week has been especially enjoyable when prepping for today's podcast. You see, we're talking about the future of work, and one of our guests is an actual business anthropologist. And boy, have I prepared for her. Sure, it took time binge-watching all four of the Indiana Jones movies, but I have a feeling that it's really going to pay off in today's discussion. Did you know Indiana Jones isn't even the character's real name? He nicknamed himself after the pet dog. Hold on a second. I'm being told that Indiana Jones is an archaeologist, not an anthropologist. Hmm. Well... That's nine and a half hours I'm not getting back. I'm Jeff Livingston with ADP Canada, and this is the Insights at Work podcast. Let's dive in. This is the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world takes your questions and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Over the last few months, ADP Canada conducted a series of surveys that looked at how COVID has impacted our workplace. Responses were collected from thousands of Canadian workers and the data was pretty surprising. It revealed what business owners, managers, and frontline workers from every province are thinking and what their expectations are for the future. And that's what we're talking about today. And we have two incredible guests whose insights I'm really looking forward to hearing. You might have seen and heard one of our guests most recently on the CBC's The National, Radio Canada and Global News. Heather Haslam, Vice President of Marketing and Communications from ADP Canada. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. Thanks so much, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. The third voice you'll be hearing is a highly regarded thought leader on changing workplace culture. She supported numerous well-known technology brands, both in Silicon Valley and throughout Europe, and is now ADP's business anthropologist. Welcome to the podcast, Martha Bird. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been looking forward to it for a few days now, so I I appreciate the opportunity to share my perspective. Well, I'm just so pleased to have you both here. So let's get started with a question that I'm sure is on everyone's mind. Martha, what does a cultural anthropologist in business do? And how has the global health crisis impacted your work? Well, I think at the most um, fundamental level, a cultural anthropologist honors the lived realities of people. We honor the different contexts that people inhabit and the different beliefs, their ways of articulating these beliefs, their norms and ways of living that people practice. We attempt to learn from the point of view of the insider, which is actually from the locals. Uh, We look for patterns in everyday lived realities and we highlight these patterns out of a genuine commitment to demonstrate that while there are many things that make us different, uh, there are also uh, many things which we share as part of a common humanity. So as a cultural anthropologist working in a business setting, my approach to understanding people hasn't really changed. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of listening and observing in your line of work, both with staff and our clients and how we interact with each other and our technology. It's true that being a cultural anthropologist implies collaborating directly with people both near and far. I'm particularly interested in how people make meaning with the tools that they use within the context of that use. In our case, primarily HCM digital tools. 
I observe how different groups within an organization use language, for instance, how a marketing or sales professional speaks differently, let's say, than from an HR professional who may speak differently, again, from a technologist. So this kind of local knowledge helps to inform how we think about both our associate and our client's needs. It also enables us to better understand where there may be gaps in our knowledge due to underlying assumptions born of our own context, which we might need to address in order to build tools that people actually find meaningful. A key tenant of the application of anthropology is spending time with people as they go about their lives, observing their interactions with people and the stuff of their daily, uh, daily living. So yes, my work in this particular respect has changed, but one thing that most anthropologists uh, learn in the course of their academic and professional careers is to adapt and pivot as necessary. So even as I'm working from home, it's clear that there are many emerging uh, patterns to observe, especially in how those of us working from home are getting on with it. Of course, how one works from home, like everything else, uh, is heavily context dependent. You know, a small apartment in the city, young children in need of attention, older children increasingly bored, strong or weak Wi-Fi, poor broadband, no broadband, uh, great digital tools or just okay work, um, uh, workarounds. Um, all these factors and many others influence um, the realities of how work is happening. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm staying busy. I bet you are busy. And it seems like work is still happening, especially in the HR space. Martha, a recent ADP Canada Insight study showed that 84% of employees believe their employer has taken precautions to protect workers from COVID-19. This includes increased cleaning of workspaces, providing protective barriers, and implementing social distancing measures. I'd like to think that we're not socially distancing ourselves, but just physically distancing ourselves from one another. Martha, how does this lack of physical contact and forced open spaces between us change the workplace? And how do you think we can maintain the human need that we have to connect with each other? Yeah, I really appreciate this um, question, Jeff, because it brings into focus the very real need humans have for connection. Uh, this connection is not only undoubtedly a physical one. You know, you think about, you know, the whole idea of our mother's first touch. But also, it's an emotional one. Humans are social animals, and we thrive in the company of others where we get to feel a part of a community, where we can exchange stories and knowledge, where we can contribute to a shared purpose, and where we can be acknowledged. So clearly, for those of us able to work from home, we currently do not have this contact with our co colleagues. And while this presents a very challenging situation, it also gives us an opportunity to reflect on what we are missing, the proverbial pause for thought. I recall a study done many years ago for a multinational CPG uh, personal products division, and they were interested in people's morning routines, and in particular, how they brush their teeth and what they thought was important about the process of doing so. So instead of focusing exclusively on people with pearly white teeth, they chose instead to speak to people who had struggled with maintaining good oral hygiene, many of whom had needed to have dentures as a result. So why am I sharing this story with you? Because if you want to know more about something, we should really understand what the absence of that something means. And, and you know, in looking from the perspective, we might better understand the real value of, of what is missing. And so now many of us have come to a, a better understanding, if not explicitly, then at least implicitly, of what was important to us before we went into this sheltering in place. So technology is many things to many people. 
it has champions and it has detractors. Ironically, I've spoken to many people who have said that while they are not as connected to their coworkers as they had been, they are more connected to their family and friends. So instead of checking emails and social feeds over dinner, some people have actually uh, selected to have conversations with one another in real time and in real place. I applaud that particular outcome. I also understand that when working together in a shared office, there is a tendency to schedule a lot of meetings as it's easier to go into a room and sync up. Sometimes this gets a bit much. So under current circumstances, I sent the sense that people are less inclined to you know, sit in back-to-back -back virtual meetings. So hopefully those meetings that are scheduled are the ones with a definite agenda and a respect for attendees' time and with a, a goal in mind. So it sounds like we're adapting our business processes to account for that absence of shared physical space. Are there other changes that you're seeing in the workplace? I'm also aware, as I'm sure many of our listeners are, that teams have come up with creative ways to socialize, and yes, they do so virtually. End of week happy hours and recipe swapping come to mind. I'm fascinated to observe that many of the connect, uh, connection workarounds I'm aware of actually harken back to some more traditional social practices. Here I'm thinking about virtual postcards, digital recipe cards, tips on bread making, and even workshops using mixed reality brainstorming activities replete with pixelated sticky notes. People are endlessly creative and adaptive, and when there's a loss of physical connection, many will find a way to restore some of that that has been lost. Interestingly, there are several new and apparently popular apps available that provide office background sounds for those who can't concentrate without the ambient noises of stuff getting done. Nothing, however, substitutes for a walk to the coffee shop or a pat on the back, and I, for one, will be looking very forward to being able to reunite with uh, my colleagues in a, in a physical space. Ah, uh, soothing background noises in the office. I think you can find them on YouTube. I remember a colleague of mine who had soundtracks of waterfalls and beach noises. I think the soundtrack to my home office would probably be the constant drone of a leaf blower outside and my six-year-old daughter asking for a sixth time for a snack after refusing the macaroni and cheese I made her for lunch. And speaking of work from home activities, on my team, some of us have taken to signing up for a Peloton class or running or reading more upon delivering great customer service. And it's inspiring to see their results after six months of lockdown. Now, we don't have to talk about my fitness regimen or the lack of it. Heather, from a mental health and physical well-being lens, how have you and your team been holding up? What have you seen on the front line? Good question, Jeff. Early on in the pandemic, we did uh, a workplace insight study at ADP. And what came out was that Canadians felt actually very well supported in their new workplace. So they were being provided the digital tools that they needed and were appreciating that. The gap was around mental health. They did not feel well supported around mental health. And so early on, it was certainly a wake up call for me. As a people manager, it's been great to see advances in the tools that help us collaborate when we're working from different locations. It really does help get the work done. And I've seen those even extend beyond the office. I'm a mom of two boys and I've used a video platform for a medical appointment with my family's pediatrician. So while technology is enabling my team to do great things and it helps me after hours, 
I still think that it's important to ensure that you're always working to keep those strong personal connections within the team. Martha just alluded to it. We need these continued connections within the team. And I can relate to a time just even over the past six months where first thing in the morning, I sit down at my laptop and then all of a sudden I look up and it's nighttime. And prior to COVID, I really never missed a meal, but I've forgotten to eat sometimes. It can be very isolating. It can be isolating to almost turn into a habit. And so we've been very conscious, just even directly on my team, on thinking about how can we work together to help each other. So we're having lots of discussions actually around mental health during team meetings. We're talking about what it is that we can do to, to help whether or not it's tips and tricks around going for walks, uh, whether or not it's ensuring that you allocate time to have a coffee outside. We've set up virtual healthy well-being hubs uh, for, you know, fitness challenges for each other. Uh, we've done some social kind of team chats where we actually talk about life. We, we really put business and projects aside for a bit. And we, we talk about family and how we're spending our free time and some of those new, you know, new habits that we're taking up, you know, baking or uh, learning an instrument. Uh, what I'll say though, is that managers at ADP really emphasize the importance of taking vacation and personal days over the summer. We all need mental health days. And so for anybody listening right now, I would really encourage you and your team members to choose a day in the next few weeks just to take time off, to recharge, even just to take a long walk or do something for yourself, binge watch something on Netflix, whatever it is, it's about actually investing in yourself. I know personally, I'm way better at work when I look after myself outside of work. And it might actually even mean that my productivity is higher for the rest of the week also could potentially mean that you don't have to manage, you know, those huge banked vacation times at the end of the year. Overall, though, most importantly, uh, I would I would give the advice to ask your team on how they're doing. Pick up the phone and call each other. Use the technology. I have found that people sincerely appreciate personal interest and a touch point. I know I do. Fantastic advice, Heather. You've inspired me to pick up the phone and make that call. So, Mum, if you're listening out there, you can expect a call from me tonight. I think it's safe to say that before the pandemic, a lot of us might have been on the fence about the effectiveness of working from home. We'd sometimes hear the dog barking in the background and see the kids interrupting, asking for a snack. And some of us probably thought, well, must be nice to work from home. Well, guess what? We've become that part-time homeschool teacher and that part-time dog walker. Some of us even host podcasts. We've become remote workers. So Heather, let me ask you, after six months of waking up and taking that 14 second commute to the home office, is the world of remote work here to stay? Or will we see a shift back to traditional office life? Life is forever different in some way. And what we do know is that remote work is here to stay. What we found and now we have evidence of is that work is an activity, not a location. We did a study in September of 2020 where we looked at working Canadians and got a sense from them on what their thoughts were around remote work. 
nearly half of working Canadians would prefer to work from home at least three days a week, if not full time, and expect the same compensation and work opportunities from remote work. What's interesting is that more than half the employees surveyed, so that's working Canadians, say that their employer has continued to allow remote work and flexibility throughout all of COVID-19, which is awesome. Interestingly enough, younger workers are more likely to prefer remote work and are more likely to work a job that allows remote work. Nearly 40% of workers aged 18 to 34 prefer to work remotely these three to four days a week compared to only 19% of workers over the age of 35. Some of this though is anxiety around being in the workplace. So when we think about how do people feel about the necessary precautions, one of the things that's been reassuring is that a huge portion of working Canadians say, yes, I believe my employer has taken the necessary precautions to protect me from COVID-19. Over two thirds say that their employer has increased sanitation, um, increased the cleaning in workplaces, you know, implemented social distancing measures and policies and provided protective barrier and equipment. What's interesting though, is when we think about managers and the fact that their stress has increased, part of the issue is potentially around this perception on is productivity the same when we're working remotely. Heather, so it sounds like Canadians are now more accepting of those working from home. But remember those days when we might have rolled our eyes about productivity and the quality of work that someone could produce from home? Have we just lowered the bar and our expectations for the quality of work produced from home? No. From the studies that we've done, it's come clear that remote work has not had a significant impact on productivity nor the hours of work or the quality of work. And that's both according to managers and employees. Approximately 40% of both managers and employees actually say that it's remained the same. And actually some have said it's increased. The majority of managers and employees believe that the quality of work has remained the same. And more, almost half are actually saying, yeah, the number of hours have remained the same. With a good portion actually of saying that the hours have increased. Here's the interesting part though. When we look at stress levels, 38% of managers believe that stress levels have increased, where it's you know less than a third employees. And I believe that this is actually the crux of the issue. It's about the stress on a manager and actually equipping them to trust in their team, trust in that productivity, trust that their folks are doing good work but it's a balance, you know, it's, uh, it, it's always a balance. Like I said, regarding vacation, I don't want people working 12 plus hours a day every day. And so this is about reinforcing the importance of connecting with your team and really trying to assess how are you doing with the balancing of it all. There is certainly a balance that we're all looking to achieve and it's hard to get there. Martha, the ADP study that we've been referencing shows a need for flexibility when it comes to work schedules. Nearly half of respondents prefer to work their traditional business hours of nine to five, while only a quarter said that they prefer to work flex hours. 
Now, even when we found ourselves working in the same office during the same working hours, there could be miscommunication. What's gonna happen now with not only a remote workforce, but a workforce that collaborates on different time schedules? How are we going to create that balance and recognize boundaries? Yeah, I, I, I really um, like that question a lot, Jeff, and I, and, I, and I think it resonates very well with what Heather just um, offered up, which is this, this idea about trust. So, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting coming out of this is this kind of uh, reflection that I've personally had around um, the difference, uh, you know, different notions of what productivity actually means. So when you're in an office, there's a certain kind of productivity that's associated with um, your your daily administrative things. So you're you're doing your emails and you're going to meetings and you're you're stepping out here and going there. And so there's this actual kind of mapping that people can see of what you're doing. And and of course, you you need to be, um, you know, contributing to the work in front of you. Um, but I also think that through this, um, you know, this remote moment in, in our work life history, we're also beginning to realize that there is a certain thing around quality. What is the value that you're contributing? Not necessarily the abundance, but the value. And I think this really feeds back into Heather's reflections on, on balance and, and mental health. And I think a lot of us get caught up in ideas around producing uh, you know, abundance as opposed to generating value. And I think if if nothing else, if we can start to reframe um, our contributions um, in this in this to this idea of value, I think that's going to be um, super helpful. And then also, you know, really to reinforce what what Heather said around trust. I think you know trust is critical. Um, if you have people on your team that you distrust, I think that would be something worth um, you know really um, taking a look at. Um, I think being you know exercising respect feeling that you um, are trusted and that uh, that you, that you're trusted and that you can trust, I think are really critical to the kind of social glue that's required, especially when we're in this place where we're, we're not um, sitting side by side. So um, yeah, I, 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 I'm really super interested in these, these kind of shifting definitions of what it means to be productive. So it sounds like the data indicates that Canadian employers are comfortable with their employees working from home, but not all of us can work from home. About 53% of Canadians have already returned to the workplace or will soon return. What's the sentiment of these workers? Are they excited to return? Heather, are these workers shooting off streamers and sipping from champagne flutes underneath their protective masks? <laughs> uh, what I would say is uh, Canadians have mixed feelings about returning to the workplace. So potentially, yes, Jeff, uh, there there are extremes there. Uh, we found that from the surveys uh, in the Workplace Insight Study, we have some of us that are really anxious and very excited about returning to work, so at 13%. Um, but we have some that are very anxious about returning and don't want to. Um, we have a good 15% uh, that say, I don't want to return at all. And when we dove into those that were feeling anxious about returning to the workplace or that don't want to return at all, the majority, um, almost three quarters, said that it would it was because they would prefer to work remotely. So why? You know, that it seems intuitive. Um, 
people are worried about the fact that their employer may not take the necessary steps to protect them. And yes, more than half are just concerned about specifically catching the virus. There's a lot of mixed reactions, kind of extremes, if you will. Some of us cannot wait to get back. Uh, living at work <laughs> does not work for them. I have someone on the team who's very isolated, living in, living in a small condo and very desperate for a change of scenery. And some have found a new appreciation for being at home. I'm certainly in that category. Uh, despite the fact that I'm an extreme extrovert and I get all of my energy from people, there is something nice about being able to manage some home stuff while working. I happen to have a load of laundry in right now. And there are other extremes um, in terms of people that uh, never want to return. So even past COVID, um, if we can imagine that. And so it highlights the need that we need to be flexible and that we need to recognize that one size does not fit all. Well, Heather, is it a luxury or is it a curse? Between myself and my partner, I'm the one working from home and I get to do the laundry, a task I enjoy. However, my wife, Stephanie, well, she's not the biggest fan of my laundry work. Let's just say that warm water and wool sweaters, they don't mix. Martha, as a business anthropologist, are you seeing a shift in attitudes towards the acceptance of remote work? I think one of these things that I think, you know, that I like to think about a lot is that often when we talk about um, remote work and return to work, um, and as Heather highlighted in, in her um, remarks around the study, there are a good many people who uh, don't have this um, conversation going on. So, um, you know, I think that I, I always like to, you know, be, take care to frame the fact that we're not talking about everybody. There are plenty of people who have not stopped working uh, in their in their places of work. And so, yes, I think for those able to work remotely, there certainly is a growing acceptance. But I'd add that there's also an eagerness for in-person interaction. And I think Heather alluded to that very nicely um, in her remarks. Many express loneliness and miss the physicality of being among colleagues. They miss their old routines and rituals, you know, the structured predictability of their work days and the demarcation of work life from domestic life. So without a doubt, like so many social relationships, the prospect of returning to the office is complicated. But what we can feel reasonably certain about is that there will be new and emerging realities coming out of this. I think where we're going to have in-person experiences and what is lost when um, these aren't available to us is going to be uh, it's going to continue to to evolve. We hear a lot about the loss of collaborative spirit and discussions around remote versus in office versus some form of a hybrid approach. In some sense, I feel these debates overdetermine the collaborative side of the conversation, when in fact, what we're really talking about is that human connection that we've discussed previously. I think the embodied ways in which people work are really often taken for granted, meaning most of us don't think about these. They're implicit in our day-to-day -day and as such are overlooked until we no longer have access to them. And I think a lot of us miss some of those things. Well, I know that I certainly miss that collaboration and working with everybody in the office. We always like to share practical insights and tips on the podcast, and today's been no different. I'm sure employers are trying their best to comply with workplace health and safety standards. Let me ask you, Heather, how can employers make their staff feel confident that everything is being done to make sure the workplace is as safe and accommodating as possible? 
Well, let me start by saying that our study did show that the majority of working Canadians believe their employers have taken the necessary precautions to protect workers from COVID-19. Reassuring. So it, it really sounds like we're off to a good start. But Martha actually already started to give these tips in her previous comment. She said the word conversation. Communication and education are key to protecting employees and helping to ease that anxiety and fear related to returning to the work. So listening to employees. Employees will be much more likely to want to stay with an organization when a company actually considers what their needs are, asks them around flexible hours and working remotely. So a couple tidbits. First, having a clear employee communication plan around the organization's plan to reopen with details around new policies and processes, potentially where they've changed or net new. Preparing managers with a return to work toolkit that includes employee return to work information. Really all of the answers to the questions that, uh, that their team will have. Updates on those policies, equipping the managers with what they need to support their teams. And then communicate regularly with employees and solicit feedback. That old idea that communication is, uh, is two ways. Keeping employees informed, but also ensuring that you're listening and responding to their feedback in order to help them keep safe. And that's safe both from COVID-19 as well as as mentally safe as possible. I've been listening really closely to the messages thrown out in the marketplace. We've all seen the commercials and the YouTube videos with the words, we're in this together. And to be honest, I tend to agree with this messaging. I have seen a new sense of purpose towards increased empathy and diversity and inclusion displayed by companies and their CEOs. And I've also seen a general shift in people's empathy and patience towards one another that wasn't there before. So let me ask you, Martha, are you seeing a renewed sense of purpose on behalf of organizations and in their strategic direction? Yeah, we're seeing increased purpose and impact both societal and economic. Uh, these surface in a company's strategic vision uh, to the way in which employees are treated and the way in which those employees treat their clients. Companies are leading with empathy and prioritizing talent and corporate social responsibility. I count this as a positive awareness catalyzed by our current historical moment. COVID has been a defining moment for CEOs who more and more understand the deep importance of an empathetic heart and mindset. It may seem obvious, but many times the obvious is the least obvious, so I'll risk it. Happy employees tend to result in happier customers. How leadership shows up during times of challenge is an indication of their leadership strength. Empathy is critical. Exhibit empathy and demonstrate awareness that people are experiencing different levels of change. I can speak from my own experience that ADP has shown up in a way that is significant. Never a single pause in payroll and business support for clients which speaks to strong change leadership and empathy at work. CEOs are asking a lot of their people, uh, you know, they're asking a lot from their people and the best ones are also asking, how do we step up? It is clear to me that ADP felt support from leadership resulting um, in associates going the extra mile. For example, field associates consistently going the extra mile to ensure that our clients' business stayed on track in some instances, taking care of clients' needs in ways that went way beyond their job role. 
I believe this speaks really directly to a culture of empathy and how to address massive change in the world of work through keeping it human. Um, I'm aware of a recent K KPMG 2020 CEO Outlook COVID-19 Special Edition report that stated that one in five CEOs, about 22%, indicated that their primary objective is to improve society. Personally, I'd like that to see that number higher. However, I'm pleased to see this becoming more of a priority for business leaders. Still, I believe that it takes dedicated action to affect positive change. Why not be a part of things that make things better for the communities where we live and work? The UN's Sustainable Development Goals are helping global corporations materialize their own corporate social responsibility policies and practices. Companies committed to giving back to the communities where they work and live is a great example of many, uh, a great example, and many companies are making it part of their roadmap. Of course, this makes a lot of sense to me. It also increasingly makes a lot of sense to those people looking to work for companies that stand for something they can get behind and feel proud of. The new pool of talent is looking at what prospective employers are actually doing to be more responsible members of the world community. Leaving the world better than when you arrived has what I hope our listeners will agree very important societal goals. And perhaps not surprisingly, this principle is also a benefit to talent acquisition and retention and delivering on goals. The business case and the humanity case are coming together. And let's face it, it's business leaders are now more visible than ever and under scrutiny to be empathetic and engaged. They are doing their best to show that they understand what is happening in the day-to-day -day lives of their employees and often are called out when not showing enough empathy. Business leaders are held to a very high standard, and there's a reason for that. But I believe there is room for us to understand that there will always be a spectrum of responses. We should make space for difference in how people, how leaders respond as long as the resulting action has tangible and positive outcomes. Words are important, but actions are even more important. You're right, Martha, actions are important. And you've talked about what ADP has done. Heather, I wanted to hear your insight on what you've seen happen during the pandemic. We saw the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and a general call to better recognize diversity. And just as the call to support those impacted by COVID was answered by ADP and companies around the world, how have you seen the call to improve diversity answered by ADP? At ADP, we've always had a strategic focus on equality, diversity, and inclusion. Even our senior leadership team, they have roles dedicated to upkeeping this important strategic pillar for us. ADP recognizes, though, the need to do more than just kind of hang posters. It's about actually creating communities of support. For example, ADP has a dedicated uh, podcast called Pridecast. Uh, regularly fundraises for local causes. Um, our Toronto Pride Parade is a personal favorite, but it's much more than that. And I'm optimistic that we're starting to see a real shift. Learning and, and becoming more educated is a journey for all of us. You know, I've started to see at the beginning of meetings, we're pausing for diversity and inclusion learning. You know, where our leader stands up and says, okay, has anyone learned something new? Can you pass along uh, some advice on something to watch or, or listen to, to help us all become more educated and better corporate citizens? And it really is all in an effort to help each other develop and become more conscious of 
potentially unconscious biases. We also have product. So, you know, I think creatively thinking around what products we can create and the services that we can create to better support employers to do their part. So whether or not that's, you know, uh, from technology, it could be policies uh, support, it could be about, you know, as simple as having the ability to do blind recruiting in, in the tech, in the tools that employers use. I'll admit that at the beginning of my career, I really believed that social change was, you know, for individuals and that really there was no role for, for corporations. Um, but hearing Martha and, and certainly after a few years in, what I'll admit is corporations can drive real change and it's invigorating. It, it is to that triple bottom line for talent acquisition, you know, for engagement. People are looking for meaning. It's not just through money. It's not just through, you know, raising funds. It's actually about progressive innovation by leading by example by showing things like having diverse teams actually pays dividends and makes us better. So yes, the workplace does have a role. Responsible members of our community are part of corporations. and We all have a role. Martha, Heather talked about what she's seen taking place with her team and within the virtual halls of ADP around diversity and inclusivity. Has the level of importance placed upon it across the marketplace changed? Do you think it will continue to be an important topic or area for an organization's strategic focus? I hope it goes without saying that in my view, the answer is resoundingly yes. Uh, we miss out on so many things when we fail to embrace diversity and exclude those who we should be including. You know, a lot has been researched and discussed around the benefits to business of diversity and inclusion commitments. A more diverse and engaged workforce results in more robust thinking. You know, different points of view encourage the kind of creative friction that leads to entirely new ways of approaching old challenges. Let's face it, when you get the same kinds of people in a room together and ask them to come up with interesting ideas, they will most likely come up with ideas that are interesting mainly to themselves. That's a pretty constrained market in my view. Martha, I couldn't agree more. Over the past six months during lockdown, we've seen a surge in digital acceleration. I've read that during this time, for some companies, they've introduced three to four years of technical progress in just three to four months. In September, KPMG released their CEO survey and it found that 67% of CEOs say they're likely to put their capital investment into technology versus developing their workforce's skills and capabilities. Interestingly, this number hasn't changed at all since before the pandemic hit. My questions to you are, where have you seen the investment in technology payoff as of late and where do you think CEOs need to invest in technology or people or both? What's the best mix? Um, you know, it's a really interesting question. Uh, one of the one of the things I would say right up front is that there have been quite a few companies already been on this road to transformation. So uh, those were the companies who were quite prepared, as ADP was, um, to shift a very large workforce almost exclusively remotely within a, a matter of, of days and also to do so, um, you know, across the globe. So I think, you know, that that's evidence that, that 
you know, there's a, a plan for co business continuity that includes the kinds of technical support that enables uh, employees to con continue to um, do the work that they need to do to support um, the clients that we have. Um, in terms of whether uh, it should be an investment in technology versus people, I think I think the two really can't be, um, you know, they're not really separate things um, in a sense, because, you know, for thousands of years, people have been part of building technologies and adapting to environmental change using technologies. And I think it's a big mistake to sort of frame it in, we're going to either um, place our investment in people or we'll place this amount in people and this amount in technology. I think you could place all your um, all your efforts and resources into um, building out a more robust te technological infrastructure, but if you don't support your people, I don't think you're going to get very far with that. So I think it has to be a mixed um, it has to be a mixed approach. I think um, partially um, because I, I'd like to think that I'm a, a person who you know thinks and reflects on things, but also because you know, I have a deep appreciation for for people in general and the importance of of keeping things human. You know, for my money, I would uh, spend um, on 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 people uh, on developing people and um, giving them a sense of their place within the company, as opposed to sort of imposing sort of the technology and then hoping that the people adapt to that. I think that's a recipe um, for disaster. So. Um, I certainly understand that companies uh, are now even more in hyperdrive to uh, create the kind of uh, technological infrastructure that allow them to weather these kinds of in, in entirely unprecedented situations. But I guess I would say that there, there are plenty of companies who've already, um, you know, anticipated the need for these le this level of transformation. Uh, you know, long before um, we were hit with COVID. COVID-19 has effectively forced many organizations to explore how and where work gets done. Like you said, Martha, we're in hyperdrive. With the pandemic transforming the world of work, we've seen geographical barriers breaking down every day. As new channels of communication are opening up, what have you seen and what are your predictions for the talent pool that HR professionals will draw from? You know, I think what we're seeing is a kind of magnification of, of what we've been seeing and what I personally would like to see more of. We're seeing, you know, the rise of gig work and the importance of alternative workforces. We're seeing multi-generational teams. We're seeing things like reverse mentorship. We're seeing the, you know, the intensification and commitment to diversity and, and, and diverse and inclusive workplaces. We're seeing networked and distributed talent. I think defining a clear strategy for the future of work will be critical with a focus not only on the digital technologies required, but also on strengthening internal trust, leading with empathy, reinventing relationships with employees, and managing diverse blended workforces and workplaces. Well, with that last question, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. It has been an absolute pleasure having you both on the podcast. Heather, with what you've shared today, I think we're all a little better off to try and listen just a bit closer to what our teams are saying during this new normal. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. I, I always enjoy your podcast 
and I've really thoroughly enjoyed this today. Uh, special call out for Martha. I really appreciate you jumping in. I feel invigorated and inspired by what it is that I've learned with you today. And Martha, your insight into our latest ADP study, and of course, your unique outlook on the future of work has really helped me understand and better position my team for what's to come. Well, thanks, Jeff, for having me. It has been my great pleasure to spend this last um, uh, hour or so with you and Heather talking about topics that I think are really super important. And, I, and I'd leave your listenership with, with something that I, I often share with people, and that is that humans are messy and life is complex. So don't sweat the small stuff, but do commit to the big stuff. This is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership, and I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work.